Some of the most incredible developments in our lives happen unexpectedly. Today, we'll hear from someone who never expected to be a teacher, and we'll learn how she went from almost quitting her job to being named the top teacher in Latin America. And welcome to episode 16 of the Education for a Better World podcast. I'm Mike Soskal. And I'm Diane Smokorowski. Each week, we will bring you conversations with some of the most dynamic thought leaders in education. This week's episode is sponsored by GoToScience, a tool that allows our youngest learners the opportunity to learn by going on adventures without leaving their classroom. We know that education will be the driving force for a bright, optimistic future. On each show, We'll introduce you to innovative ideas, we'll stretch your thinking, and help you see ways to empower students to affect positive change in the world. We are thrilled that you are coming along with us on this journey. Let's dream big. Mom turned teacher, Elisa Guerra was named the best educator in Latin America by the Inter-American Development Bank in 2015. When she couldn't find a school that she liked for her children, she opened her own, and now she has 10 campuses across five countries. Elisa has authored or co-authored more than two dozen books. She still teaches social sciences in her hometown of Aguascalientes, Mexico. Elisa was also named a finalist for both the 2015 and 2016 Global Teacher Prizes. Elisa, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, Mike and Diane. So tell me, when I read your bio, it says that you became a teacher by accident. So tell me, <laughs> what, what is that about? Well, yes, I had no training as a teacher. Um, I went to college, but I studied literature. Uh, but the thing is that when I became a mother, I was so eager to, to teach my son, Leo, how to read and how to enjoy uh, music and art and, and the wonderful things of culture that are around us. So I began to do some research and I began to read books about how to you know, be a better mom because I didn't have any experience being a mom either. And um, I found a couple of books that were very helpful. I began to teach him to read before he was three. Uh, I began to teach him about music, art, uh, speaking English to him so he will get the, the language as well. And of course, we were having a lot of fun. Uh, when my little girl came along two years later, well, I was already a seasoned teacher <laughs> for my own child. But the problem came when, when Leo was four and a half or so. I could not find a school that I thought was challenging enough and and, and you know, that just provided what I wanted for, for my children. And um, I look around a lot. Leo was enrolled in three different schools at different moments. And they were good schools, of course, but I thought that they were doing too little, too late, and sometimes too badly. I didn't feel like they were challenging him enough. And, and you know, Leo was this kind of student that will not sit still on a chair. He needed lots of movement. So in some schools, he was not happy. In some others, he was happy, but I thought that he was not learning as much as he could. So eventually, um, I found out, I, I, I just realized that 
if I wanted my son to have the kind of education that I wanted him to come to have, I will have to found my own school. And finally, that's what I did. I found my own school. And of course, uh, it was very difficult at the beginning. I thought, okay, it's just, you know, like having little Leo times 15 or times 17 or times whatever number of kids I had with me at the beginning. Oh, but it was so difficult. Uh, the very first week that I, that I became a teacher, and this was preschool, I was in charge of a group of two-year-olds. My daughter was in there. And all the kids were crying at the same time. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to calm them down. I, I was just trying to be a teacher, but I had to be a mom first to, be, to these kids to, to, to have them trust me and, and be happy in school before I could teach them anything. And by the end of the week, I was exhausted. I was broke because I opened the school with my own resources. I sold my car to, to do that. And, and I still was not able to teach a single thing in that first week of school to my kids. So I said, I am terrible as a teacher. This is much more difficult than what I anticipated. Um, I, I should let these parents know that I, I am no good at this and, and thank you, but no thanks. But I was, you know, just about, I was about to quit. Um, I thought I cannot do this to these parents. They trusted me with their kids. The school year is just beginning. I will have to finish this school year no matter what. And, and once I finish the school year, then I will quit. And then I will go back home and teach my kids and be a happy mom, just teaching them as, as I was. And uh, well, that was almost 20 years ago. I stayed. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I became a teacher by accident. But later on, of course, I decided to, to stay in the teaching profession. So the the discovery of the teaching profession was the accident but to embrace the the teaching profession that was a decision what a great story i love this so let's fast forward 20 years and tell me what you believe schools should be today oh wow that's a wonderful question diane and very difficult to to answer because i don't think there is a single model that we could say, okay, this is the model of the perfect, of the perfect school, and then you just use a cookie cutter and, and replicate it for all over the world. Um, I think that we will need to have a school for every child, if that could be possible. And of course, that's not possible. But if, if we will think on maybe common traits that many different schools could have, um, no matter how different they are, I think that the schools should be centered in students, and this is, of course, nothing new. But here in Mexico, where education is still very traditional and groups are very large, um, the more you have the schools focused on, on teachers and, and curriculum and just replicating um, a, a set of classes and lessons, the easier it is for teachers to survive. Unfortunately, that's not the best way to teach ch children, <laughs> we have learned. So I think that we should include lots of different experiences. And I also think that our curriculums 
are very, um, they are not as wide as they could be. Sometimes they are very limited. And I think that we should incorporate things that make students want to be in school, that enjoy being at school. Um, art, music, um, cultures from around the world, global citizenship, and it is so easy to integrate these areas with the rest of the curriculum. I don't see why we should not do that in every school with every kid. And um, integrating parents into, into the school. You know, I, I met many teachers that somehow think that parents, because they are too emotionally attached to their children, um, they cannot be objective and sometimes they are not helpful. Um, and I think it's just the way we incorporate the parents into the teaching equation. And if we're all on the same page, then of course the children will be the ones who benefit the most. That's just a fantastic answer. And I know that at the heart of what you do in your schools uh, and what you do with your students is relationship building and social emotional learning and making sure that every kid feels like they belong and that they're getting what they need out of school. How do you balance that? that need to make sure that kids are nurtured with the current push towards STEM education, technology integration, preparing kids for the workforce. How do you balance those two things? <laughs> wow, guys, you're just so great at difficult questions, but great questions because they, they get you thinking. Well, I love technology and, and I think it's a great set of tools that we can use in many, many different ways to enhance the learning experience for, for our kids. Um, yes, of course, we have to follow the curriculum. We have to finish what the Ministry of Education tells us to, to do. In, in Mexico, we have a set curriculum for all schools. Every school needs to have the same curriculum and you have um, times, a time frame in which you need to finish that set curriculum that it's common for every school in Mexico. But um, if, if we use technology, if we have kids in, in smaller classrooms, which I think is ideal, I, I, I know that not everyone can do that, not every school can, can have that luxury. But if we group kids in smaller groups and we use technology, we can really cover the curriculum um, in a comprehensive way without having to repeat it so, so many times. Um, and then we can use a little bit more time just to develop the passions that the students have shown and they can be related to the curriculums as well. Um, one of the things that I really love to do is to uh, teach my kids how to be um, speakers, how to speak in front of an audience. I think that's one of the things that uh, our kids need to know how to do and do very well. Um, last year, for example, we, we did a TEDx lectures with our kids. So seven of our kids became TEDx lecturers. And, and it was wonderful. Every kid got the chance to choose what they were going to talk about. And of course, we were just polishing the presenting skills, of course, the writing skills because they had to write a script, the technology skills because they had to do a PowerPoint and uh, take care of the all the technology aspects of, of the presentations. But apart from that, they were able to speak about their own passions. And, and watching those TEDx performers uh, now, 
uh, and YouTube in, in TEDx channel is, is, is just wonderful. Uh, we're doing that again this year, of course. And there are many, many projects uh, like that in our school. And now that you're bringing these elements to your to school, so students can start to practice how to be public speakers and such, what kind of personal growth have you seen from students after they do one of these TEDx events? Oh, well, of course, they are very sure. They are, they are, you have seen that their confidence grows exponentially. And, and now they can take that with them to every other aspects of their academic um, career at school. Of course, now that they have had the nerve to stand up in front of an audience and speak about their ideas with passion and present their arguments in a convincing way, of course, it's much, much easier for them to be able to present inside the classrooms or even just argument when, when we are having debates or any other kind of things. Now, every, every kid in our school from beginning third grade all the way to ninth grade, which is the, the highest our, our school reaches, all of them uh, learn to be public speakers. All of them learn to, learn to do uh, uh, a talk, uh, five to 10 minutes long, and um, in both languages, English and Spanish. Now, not all of them could be part of TEDx, of course, because you know the event is not so large. I mean, 100 kids. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we had seven kids last year, and we are planning to have a different set of seven kids this year uh, as well. And, and of course, I mean, just being able to finish a project this wide is also a, a big push for the kids and for the parents. Before we continue, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our sponsor. GoToScience is an incredible tool that helps pre-K through second grade children learn reading, math, and the rest of the core curriculum by using scientific inquiry to drive their learning. Students love going on virtual adventures around the world and taking initiative in their own learning. Each month, we give away a free one-year subscription. To win this month, simply share the podcast website with your followers on either Twitter or Facebook. Make sure to tag us. The website is ed4betterworld.com. I'd also like to remind you that Diane and I are available to speak at your conference or to visit your school to work with your teachers. We're passionate about helping teachers incorporate problem and project-based learning into their lessons. We want them to use global experiences and the design process so that kids feel empowered to see the relevance of school. We create experiences for teachers so that they can create experiences for students. Visit the website to send us an inquiry. Now let's get back to the show. So, Elisa, that's amazing about your students, but I know you are also a TEDx speaker and you've been up on stage on the red dot before. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your TEDx talk? What was it about and what did you cover? Okay, um, I've been a TEDx speaker twice. Um, the first one I was invited just to tell the story of the school, how it came to be, how I became a teacher, and what was the methodology that we, were, that we are using at school, how we do early reading and early math and... Um, uh, Biolink and, and art and culture and everything that we do. So that was the very first one. And in the second one, I, I took part of the, of the event. It was the TEDx event organized by our school. So it was the same event where my students 
also became speakers. And um, for that one, I wanted to tackle this question that lures everywhere around where, where, where I go. Um, and it's a question about whether technology is going to eventually replace teachers. Um, so I had a little fun with, with that one. Um, because of course, I think the technology is great and it enables us to do many, many things that we could not be able to do otherwise. But from that, to say that technology will take over teachers completely, I think that is a very, very long jump. So that was a very uh, funny, uh, that was very fun for me to, to talk about. As someone who has been named the best teacher in Latin America, a uh, Global Teacher Prize finalist twice, you've developed quite a network of incredible teachers from around the, around the world that you've uh, been in contact with and been able to collaborate with and learn with. What are some of the lessons about global citizenship that you have learned from other teachers that you've been able to bring back to your own students? Well, uh, the teachers around the world that I have been able to meet through Barkey Foundation are so accomplished and they are doing so many things in their classrooms and they are all eager to share. That's, that's something that always amazes me. You know, because sometimes in, in different workplaces, you can find people that don't like to share very much. You know, they, they keep to themselves a lot. They are jealous of what you can do. They, they don't share ideas. And, and the first thing that I have found as a commonplace with all these teachers is that they are all very open, uh, all very eager to share. Um, they let you in very easily. Uh, I think that's one of the greatest perks of, of uh, being a part of this community of teachers, just to be able to get to know them and, and, and to be able to sometimes even visit them at their schools. Right now, I am developing a project. I am writing a book about how little kids learn to read around the world. So I have been able to visit some of these teachers, six, seven countries so far. Uh, so um, I went to the schools that Natalia Kiseleva helped me get in St. Petersburg in Russia. And I also visited um, Marit Rossi's sister, who is an um, early years educator in Finland. And uh, Kuhn Timers helped me get into a school in Brussels, also to see how little kids learn to read in this country. And, you know, it's wonderful because you now see that the world is really a huge place. And for example, in Brussels, uh, just, uh, it was this month, early this, earlier this month, uh, the classroom that I got the, the opportunity to visit, they had 15 kids maybe in the classroom, and maybe they had 10 different nationalities in that classroom, integrating all these different beliefs and, and races and families and ways of living. Our schools in Mexico are not that diverse. So for me, uh, it's been a humbling and experience, and of course, with lots and lots of learning. What an amazing set of experiences to go visit all of these places. And I know already that uh, you have the same passion as Mike and I do for global learning in the classroom. So how have you thought about bringing more of those global things to your school? Well, of course, we do a lot of Skype conferencing with, with other schools. 
And that's no news for you. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in the Skype Master Teacher uh, program, I think that maybe that program by itself has been one of the most important programs in, in the last years in our schools. The kids just love it. Um, we've been grateful to have uh, the opportunity to visit with many, many, many schools from around the world, usually from our continent because of the time changes, you know. But we have also been in touch with other classes and other students um, in other continents, uh, leaving messages and uh, exchanging cards and, you know, using technology finally for, for this kind of, of learning. Also, we do a lot of um, field trips as well using, using Skype. So we have international parks and uh, one of that our kids really enjoyed was being able to go to a rescue ranch where uh, all the animals that are abandoned or in need of assistance of any kind can find a, a, a safe heaven. So, wow, the kids were just over the roof with with that experience and there are so many out there one thing that i love about technology is that it opens the world to your classroom so you can take the world to your classroom every day if you want you started with this one school in mexico but now you have schools all over latin america can you talk a little bit about um, the differences in uh, education systems throughout Latin America and how you've been able to navigate that to make sure that all of these different children are getting an excellent education. Okay, well, um, the schools are not really mine. Um, it began with my own school, yes. Uh, and as, as the school was growing and time was going by, I began to develop a program or a model uh, for the school. And, and then it happened very... Innocently, I, I might say, one of the mothers of my former, of one of my former students uh, that moved to a different city, came back one day to my school and she said, "You know, I have not been able to find a school like yours in in my city in Querétaro, and and I want Rudy to have this kind of of schools. So why don't we open a school in Querétaro?" And I said, "I have no money, no resources, and no time to open a second school. My hands are full with my first school." And she said, "Well, you don't have to do it. Everything. I mean, I I can do it. You just teach me how to do it. Uh, you give me the model. You train my teachers, and we stay in touch. And you advise us. And so we kind of developed on the spot. Uh, began to develop." kind of like a franchise model of some kind. Um, but something that I like, yes, right now we have uh, 10 centers. Not all of them are schools. Two of them are early development centers. Uh, the other ones are schools, either kindergartens, uh, elementary schools, or junior high schools. Um, we have 10 centers in five countries in Latin America. Uh, but one thing that I really like about, about our schools is that each one of them has its own personality. You know, a school is a living being. It's not something that you construct with the hammer and nails and it's static. Uh, it has its own personality. And of course, every school has to comply with the regulations of their own country, different calendars, different curriculums. Um, and it's not being so hard, really, because every teacher that is the head of, of his or her own school, and they make sure that we can comply with all the regulations. 
And what what is common to all our schools is that philosophy that every child has the child the, the seed of genius within, and that we can develop their intelligences with the programs that are close to what neuroscience is telling us, cognitive neuroscience is telling us uh, with education. And, um, and as long as we follow through with, with this kind of methodology and philosophy that is common to our schools, uh, the many other things, we have a lot of freedom to, to explore on ourselves and to share with the other schools. Uh, and so all of our schools grow um, in return. We ask this of all of our guests, and we're going to ask you to do it in just one or two questions or one or two sentences. If you could change education in some way to make the world a better place, what would you do? I will make sure that every child has, from the moment of birth, access to the greatest learning environment possible. So their brains can benefit from all the stimulation and the opportunities while they are still very young. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit our website at edforbetterworld.com. That's ed, E-D, the number four, betterworld.com for show notes and to learn more about inviting Mike and I to lead a workshop for your teachers. And don't forget to check the other podcast-related goodies. We want to thank Elisa Guerra for being a guest on today's show. Credit for music on the show goes to Midair Machine. Join us next week as we talk with Brian Copes and Steve Elza about how they're using career and technical education programs to both prepare kids for the workforce and allow them to do good in the world and make the world a better place. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that it gave you some new ideas and perspectives. Through education and action, we can create a better world. Until we're together again, continue to dream big. And affect positive change.